Let's face it, whether you're hiring or trying to find work today, the process has become tougher than ever. Between ghost listings, AI-powered applicant tracking systems, chat GPT-written cover letters, and wild employment scams, how do you know if your resume, your application, or your job posting is even being seen by an actual human? That's why we've relaunched our job board to help you find your next opportunity. And if you're a company that's hiring right now, then we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of podcast listeners for just $99. Get started with us and expand your job search or your recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast. A weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. But in order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with David Perrin. David is a graphic designer and an illustrator, and he's currently the art director at the Ford Foundation in New York City. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. So my name is David Perrin. I'm an art director, graphic designer, and illustrator. I use photo collage as uh, my current graphic style to help kind of portray complex issues pertaining to social justice, politics, you know, in my off time, Black joy in uh, Black culture. How has your 2023 been going so far? It's been going great. Busy, done a lot of traveling, soul searching, got into grad school, started grad school right now. So currently in that. And yeah, just really gearing up for the fall, just kind of heads down, I think for the first half of the year, took a lot of trips to go see friends and family and everything. And, and now I'm like kind of just hitting the ground running. So it's been a busy year so far. Well, congratulations on grad school. Thank you. Where are you going? So I'm currently at uh, Baruch studying arts administration. 
So getting a master's in that, I'm super excited. It's really going to help me bolster, you know, my leadership skills in the nonprofit space, specifically, you know, around art and kind of on the back end of this, I, I do want to get into teaching and being a professor. I really love the work that I do. And I think this is going to just give me a, a stronger foundation moving forward. Nice. So I saw that you recently illustrated a children's book. Tell me about that. Yes. Amadou goes to school. So a friend of mine is uh, Senegalese. He pitched this, this, uh, this story to me a couple of years ago. At the time, the only person he knew that like, he would want to, to illustrate this book. And so the book primarily is about his experience, really, through this character, Amadou, and what the first days of school might look like with just dealing with just different cultures and just finding common ground and where people can kind of, our children, right, uh, can kind of see eye to eye on things and really just come together through that unfamiliar process of getting to, to know one another and stuff. So we've gotten a lot of just very just positive energy around the book. We're working on a second right now. We're hoping to make it a series. This has definitely pulled me out of my comfort zone. I think uh, the last couple of years, I'm kind of undoing a lot of years of slight imposter syndrome and wanting to, to get into new spaces and things. And so slowly peeling back those layers and stuff. So this is definitely a project of love. Yeah, I really appreciate my boy, Mo, the Abby, who's uh, the writer on it. We're heads down trying to, to figure out what the game plan is. We, we want to do more readings in schools and, and get this out there, you know, as the school year is kind of, I think, jumpstarting right now, as a matter of fact. So, yeah. yeah. Was this your first children's book? Yes. First children's book, all original characters, content, all the things. Been drawing since I was in first grade, but to kind of do it in this platform, yeah, it was a little like nerve wracking. Finally, I think we released it last year, fall. And so, yeah, we're gearing up, like I said, for this, this second book. So, yeah, just super excited to have it out there. And, you know, I, like every now and then I get a ping from a friend who just had a kid and like they're reading the book to their child, that type of thing. So it's I'm just happy it's making the rounds. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm being able to touch my community in this way. And yeah, more to come. Nice. Looking forward to that. So you're Thank currently you. the design lead at the Ford Foundation. That's pretty epic. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I'm currently the design lead at the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation is a, a global philanthropic institution centered uh, around the mission of social justice, you know, at its core with the goal of expanding equitable experiences uh, for all. The organization is global. We have 11 different offices. We, we cover a lot of ground and a lot of work. And so it's really exciting, simply put, just because of all the different bodies of work that we contribute to. As a designer, I feel like I'm kind of a kid in a candy store, if you will, you know, <laughs> being able to work on all these different topics. To be able to work on, you know, so many different types of bodies of work is, is really cool. And again, like the added bonus of us being global and, and working with the different regions as well and seeing how the work touches just different parts of the world is, is also pretty awesome. I want to go a little deeper on like what you do, like your day to day. Like I realized when I just asked that question before, I was like, that was real open ended. Like yeah, you yeah. work for the Ford Foundation. Tell me about it. Like I, I just realized that as I said it, but like, what does a typical day look like? Are you in office? You working remotely? Do you have like an in-house team? Like what does that structure look like? Yeah. So we have an in-house team. So currently our team consists of, so we have a creative team. 
and we're on the broader like communications team, right? So the creative team consists of two editors, two writers, copywriters, if you will, and then two designers. And then our broader team consists of like strategists and web development folks. So like a pretty robust team, I think around like 24 folks. So that's our team as a whole. The work, I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty vast. You know, we have a lot of grantees. So we do grantee profiles where we reach out to our grantees, bolster up some of the work that they're doing on their end, create these grantee profiles, which then kind of get condensed into like maybe a blog format or like social media. We're here in New York. So sometimes like our, our program offices will, you know, make regional visits to some of the regional offices and vice versa. So constantly creating content around, you know, those visits and kind of like information exchanged. We have a video series. We get into video a lot. Events, the Ford Foundation as a building, as an entity, houses uh, a lot of events throughout the year. We also have a gallery where we do gallery showings. I think we have one on AI that premiered a couple weeks ago. But yeah, we we support everybody, uh, our small team. We have a group of like fellows or a constant rotation of fellowships that, that kind of happen throughout the organization. A small, bite-sized list of, of things that we have that we could be working on, you know, on a day-to-day. So it doesn't sound like there is like at any point in time, like a lack of work because it, it feels like there's always going to be something coming in, whether that's, like you said, new grantee profiles or maybe that's seasonal type, you know, campaigns or things that you're doing. It sounds like it's just a, a constant stream of work. Yeah, you know, our grantees are, are moving and grooving. You know, they, they're constantly giving us things to put out into the space and to, again, to, to, to bolster up. And yeah, the organization is, is constantly going through, yeah, these different like rotations, uh, folks coming in and out, fellows coming in and out. I mean, I will say like the summer is like kind of our like a safe period where folks, we try to give ourselves like some time off, right? So we're trying to create some work-life balance there. Like I was saying earlier in the fall, like, yeah, it's kind of heads down, right? So right now we just have a lot of things going and um, all like constant rotation. But the summers, we we try to keep it a little open-ended for folks to, to take off. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to mention that because a couple of weeks ago I had Vashina Brisbane on the show. She is, I'm going to butcher her title, but she's like the director of communications for Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York. Got it. Which is a, a pretty big church, pretty well-known church. And, you know, we sort of talked about kind of like how when you're doing the type of design that maybe not is, um, I don't know, product-based or software-based or things like that, sometimes it gets overlooked and sometimes it has like a stigma to it. I've had designers on the show. I mean, I've been, I'm a designer myself where there can sometimes be a stigma against church work or nonprofit work or things like that because it's not as, I don't know, glossy and sexy as like advertising or software mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's good to note that there's just a variety of design work that you do with the Ford Foundation and that it's all kind of pretty encompassing a lot of different types of media. Absolutely. For example, we have a 60th anniversary of our East Africa office happening pretty soon and I'm making a stage design for them. Um, you know, some of these are, are first for me, wayfinding stuff, uh, banners that kind of take up full columns of, of buildings and things. So, I mean, yes to like nonprofit work and, you know, some of this stuff feeling tone wise really, you know, like, I guess to your point, maybe not as sexy as like advertising or some branding studios and stuff like that, but 
I'll still get the work done and um, we should be held to the same standard as everybody else, I believe. Right. I mean, you get the work in and it's a variety of work. I mean, I think sometimes if you're working with a company, particularly if you're just a product designer, you're kind of doing the same type of thing day in, day out. You don't really have a chance to kind of stretch yourself creatively. And it sounds like, you know, even though you're the lead and you have a team, there's always going to be something new and different coming down the pike for you to work on. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we try to keep it interesting too. You know, we we also trying to push ourselves. I mean, with our granting profiles, we want to do more original artwork, original photography, really meet our grantees where they're at and, and bolster the work up to like a, a New York Times or the Atlantic. We are really striving for just a higher standard of uh, design and design thinking and reimagining of like what this work can look like. We just went through a brand redesign. Yeah, I think embodies some of these newer ideas and trends in the design community. So I think great design is accessible just because it's nonprofit doesn't mean it doesn't have to be stale, doesn't have to be, you know, all these things like it really be as energizing as and exciting, you know, as anything that we see, you know, out in the, the private sector. What's the most challenging part about your work? I guess even going back to my days at, uh, at Demos, sometimes like visualizing some of this work because it's so nuanced, right? Like I'm thinking on, you know, when I was working at Demos, this uh, racial justice think tank, right? Like coming up with visuals for ending the filibuster, right? Like what does that look like? Like it's not a very tangible thing. You know, you can't just like throw that into Google and, and like a bunch of images are going to pop up. And so, yeah, for some of these more nuanced, more sensitive topics, right? The Supreme Court ruling on on abortion, what does that look like that creates an approachable tone, right? It's so, it's so sensitive. Like what does that look like? What's the tone that we want to strike with that? We deal in some some pretty heavy topics. And so I think that's always a difficulty in like trying to establish a tone of uh, of empowerment, but also making clear what's at stake and what's actually happening in this space without being, I guess, disruptive or, or disrespectful. We, we do you know, want to respect all the imagery and our grantees and the people involved. These are real issues. And so there's a lot of sensitivities around that. And we want to just be mindful as much as possible, creating a message, but also, again, just really thinking on the communities involved in the work. So yeah, sometimes that, you know, that there's not always a balance. And so it's tricky sometimes coming up with like how to really set that tone and make sure everybody is is fully represented in the right way. And I would imagine, you know, aside from that, because you're dealing with different cultures, you're dealing with different just topics and mores and things like that. So you're always having to sort of strike that balance between, of course, something that's going to be visually and aesthetically pleasing, but then also is going to work for the context that it's being used in. Like, for example, you mentioned, you know, doing this conference in East Africa. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't style that like you would do maybe an event in Silicon Valley. Like it would just be a different type of thing, I would imagine. Absolutely. And to that point, and I'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but like, yeah, bringing folks in, getting the right feedback. We're very much in touch with the folks in that that regional office. And they they sent us like a mood board, right, to kind of help guide us you know, on some principles and some like rules of the road, right? Some things that we, you know, they wanted to stay away from as far as stereotypes and very appreciative of that. I want everybody, people that we are speaking behalf of, trying to grant these who are trying to bolster communities, all that to really come to the table, right? And, and really help us guide us, you know, as designers and, and visionaries so that 
we're not misrepresenting the work, you know, at any point. It's a fine line, but always, always here to to hear from folks like what they want to see individuals and like what's empowering and what makes sense to the work. Mm. Now, along with the work that you're doing at the Ford Foundation, you also teach. You're an instructor with uh, social movement technologies. How did you find out about them? At my time at Demos, I was still trying to get a handle on what organizing work like looked like and felt like. And so my director at the time, I guess uh, SMT had kind of fallen into her inbox. She encouraged me to take the, they had a certificate course, right? On basically design tools for graphic designers in the organizing space, right? I took the course. I learned a lot, met up with a lot of great designers and just kind of got to hear just stories and just kind of, you know, be alongside of like other organizers and, and, and grassroots folks, researchers, people who, you know, who aren't designers that just wanted to learn and, and to help their organizations out um, in any capacity and the design capacity and everything. So yeah, it was just a really good learning experience overall. And so after the program, the head of the program uh, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to, to be an instructor. And I jumped at the opportunity. I haven't turned back. And so, yeah, I feel fortunate to be in a space, again, to be on the other side and to kind of help usher in, yeah, just this next class of, of folks, you know, year after year. It's been a very rewarding for sure. What sort of topics are you teaching? We're starting from the ground, from the ground up, right? So just teach like basic typography, color palette, mood boarding, brain guides, visual tone with like photography, sourcing, animation, illustration, like whatever we can kind of like really pack in during the time that we have, like we really try to pack it in. And yeah, we've created a pretty decent formula as far as uh, pace goes. But yeah, we really just try to give people the building blocks on like what to really think about when thinking about brand and how to start, right? So like really, like I said, from the ground up, and putting this against folks are like limited resources too, and giving them a lot of open source material that they could use to kind of just get started. Like Photoshop, Adobe sometimes can be a little inaccessible, can be a little daunting, right? So mm-hmm. we really just try to meet people where they're at and help bolster their skills so that they feel more confident you know, in talking about visual identity and, and, and what to really think about when it comes to strategy for the organizations. How do you sort of balance this teaching work along with your nine to five work? Cause it sounds like the Ford foundation work is already like a lot to do. It is full transparency, right? Like a couple years ago, I was like on the, the more teaching end of this. And now I'm, I'm more of supportive, like a more of like a supportive role looking at students work and being able to kind of guide them on like next steps and things. So more of like a small group kind of feedback session type of thing. And I try to do my best to, really prepare folks as far as like next steps and help them again, like just try to meet them where they're at, whatever the design needs are at the time. Now let's kind of, you know, change it up here a little bit. We've talked a lot about your work, you know, your teaching as well. I do want to ask more about Demos, but before we get to that, let's learn more about you. I know you're currently in Brooklyn, New York, but you grew up in Miami. Is that right? Yes. So North Miami beach to be specific. Um, (laughs) But I have a kind of a, a very roundabout story. My parents are both from Jamaica. I wasn't actually even born in Florida, but that's where I spent most of my time. So born in Texas, moved to North Miami Beach, where I think I did maybe, I don't know, preschool to like 
Yeah, like maybe the the top of first grade from there, moved to Michigan, spent a couple of years in Michigan, moved to North Carolina for a couple of years after that. Each stop, like averaging about three to four years, landing back in the landing back in Florida, moving to the Panhandle, going to the high school in the Panhandle, going to college down in Fort Lauderdale. I spent some time in New York and all that that mixture, and then finally moving to Brooklyn, where I'm at now. So that's just a little bit of that journey. My background as far as a creative kind of started in like first grade, drawing dinosaurs and things. I was really involved with like Jurassic Park and stuff. Then kind of moved on to like Dragon Ball Z, anime, all that stuff. (laughs) In high school, when I made it back, where I made it to the, the Panhandle, I went to a collegiate high school where I was like basically taking collegiate classes with college students. There, I was able to kind of dig in on artwork in a very specific way, right? So I'm, I'm doing live paintings and live drawings with like models and sculpting, taking guitar lessons and all these things, kind of almost making up for just some of these moves, right? I, I moved around a lot, so I wasn't able to really hone in on the artistic side of me until I, I, I had a couple of years at this uh, collegiate high school mm-hmm. where I was able to kind of lean in more specifically. Graphic design really doesn't start to take, I guess, even a role until I um, I moved to Fort Lauderdale for college where I'm studying accounting um, of all things. And I was kind of doing that in the background. I was a part of a fraternity. I'm making flyers, diving in Photoshop a little bit, but not that much. And then eventually after college, I worked in nonprofit, worked on the nonprofit side in accounting for a little bit. I told my parents straight up, like after college, because, you know, they're Jamaican. So they're like, hey, like you got to be a doctor, lawyer, business, something like <laughs> you got to make it make sense type of thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. I told them after a couple of years of doing the accounting thing, um, I don't know. I just said the arts. I was like, I don't know how, like what it's going to be, but like, I'm going to be in the arts. And so I think around the time of like maybe my second year of working in accounting, my sisters were, were getting ready to go to, to SCAD. They had made the jump, right? So they, they went to UCF down in Orlando and then they wanted to go to SCAD and they kind of propelled me. I'm like, well, they're, you know, they get to go to art school. I'm the bigger brother. I'm like, I want to go to art school too. So, <laughs> um, you know, I start doing some research. SVA is, is high on that list. I decide kind of then and there, like I'm, I'm moving out of state. I'm going to New York. I create this portfolio. Like until this day, it amazes me because like I said, I don't have like the most artistic background. Like I'm drawing, I'm doing dabbling, doing little things here and there. But I, yeah, called together this portfolio for them of these sketches here and there and some of these Photoshop files and things that like I made along the years and they accepted me. And so, yeah, right after the acceptance, a buddy of mine was heading up to New York. His parents were moving up there. I moved up there with him and I started taking night classes, uh, mm-hmm. continuing ed at, at the School of Visual Arts. So by day, I found an accounting job on the nonprofit side again. And by night, I'm at SVA taking classes and things to try to make ends meet. But also with this battery in my back, of, I need to make it. They were very upfront with me when I got to SVA. They were like, hey, you have a cap, like you have a financial cap. And so you have a limit as to like how much government support you're going to get. I think I had my back up against the wall and kind of going in. And so I, I felt like I really, really had to make it. But I also knew that like from early on that like I wanted to get into social justice work or, or like work that's community based. The commercial thing really wasn't clicking for me, even in my early inceptions of learning about graphic design and typography and all the things. A lot to think about, but 
that was kind of like the early beginnings of design for me and then school and everything. Fast forward, I eventually made my way to Demos, where I'm working on, you know, all these these issues pertaining to racial justice, voting rights, I'm blanking on climate change, all, all these different, you know, buckets of work, and then eventually make my way to Ford. That's the long, that's, yeah. That's the abridged story, version. But like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, here we are. So I saw, you know, and that you kind of, I guess, I don't know, maybe skipped over this a little bit, but we can talk about it. I mean, you freelanced a bit in 2015 and 2016. And then after that, you were working, this is before Demos, you were working at AMC Networks as their lead graphic designer. How was that experience? Because this is before you sort of went into the nonprofit space with Demos and now Ford. Like, what was it like at AMC? Early beginnings was cool. You know, I get to work for I get to work for a big brand, right? And you know, I finally get brand recognition. Brand recognition is such a big thing in the design community. It's like really like who you work for. Yeah, like yeah, if you don't work for a big brand or something, it's like your social capital is like really low. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I felt I got to kind of finally step into that, you know, a bit. And so yeah, early stages of that job was like really really cool, but. Things started to kind of turn for me around, I think, like 2016, a little before 2016, just seeing how the politics kind of permeated through the workspace. Early starts, great. Met a lot of great folks, learned a lot, you know, working with the big organizations, you know, that size, being able to kind of dabble in between different channels and meet people from just different teams and things. It's a full on learning experience. But like I said, toward the end, I had to make a change for my own moral benefit. Yeah, I, I figured when you said it was cool, like that sounded a little bit loaded. I was like, okay. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, you have those experiences where you hope it's going to be one way and then they're kind of just throwing everything but the kitchen sink at you, yeah. especially if it's at a place, like you said, that has that name recognition. I mean, I mean, I can say this now because I don't work there anymore, but like back when I worked at Fog Creek Software, which later became Glitch. I mean, Glitch was sort of known, I think, in the like 2018 to 2020 space as being like this really progressive, like software company that's sort of doing these things. But internally, woo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I had several different titles. I, you know, even had like personal slights with management and then I became management and then they didn't want to train me as a manager. It was, there was like a lot of stuff that happened. I mean, I don't want to go too much into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, also like, I'm not a big fan of like really like trashing places where I used to work. I mean, it's in the past, like move past it, you know, but I know what you mean because sometimes that name recognition does mean a lot. I mean, it's something that I think now people are even finding out, especially if they've been laid off in the past year from a company that used to have better reputation. Yes, I'm talking about Twitter. They might be finding it a little difficult, I would say, probably in the market to maybe get placed somewhere because that name now has, I mean, despite the work that they might have done there, like the platform is almost in the dirt at this point, you know? So I don't know. It's a tricky thing, I think, for designers, especially with career mobility and trying to make sure that you're doing work that is important, that means something to you, but then also unfortunately, means something to other people once you get out in the job market again. Absolutely. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to I just want to put that on the record. It it sucks. So after, you know, your AMC experience, you start at Demos. How did you find out about them? I mean, I'm sure you probably knew about it just in terms of like general consciousness, but like that's a big shift from something like yeah. AMC to nonprofit. 
I think at some point, I don't, like I said, 2016, it's like I made a pledge to myself, right? I was just like trying to manifest. It was before I even knew what, yeah, like what social justice meant, organizing, like my view of that space was like so, like still tied to like places like the NAACP. Like I did the NAACP, like youth council, like growing up. And so, you know, I'm thinking, like, man, I, I can't get a job in this, like a design job. Yeah, my view was just so small. And so, I'm applying around. I'm I'm on these job boards. I applied to demos twice, right? They they took a while to to get back to me. I think just because of internal processes and things like that. Manifest. I manifested it. It happened, and <laughs> I ended up there. I had like yeah, everything else in between. I, I have no idea. So I really thank my lucky stars on that one. I'm trying to listen to a kid like me, um, in my pitch to get into the space because uh, yeah, none of my work really reflected that. I'm coming off of entertainment, right? So like, mm-hmm. how does this translate into that that type of thing? So happy that they, they took a shot on me. And I mean, it sounds like it really paid off just for you in terms of solidifying yourself in this particular realm, because now you're at the Ford Foundation. So clearly your experience at Demos must have been pretty transformative. Me being the lead, the only designer on the team, got to experiment. Shout out to, to my director at the time. She really let me like spread my wings on like what was possible kind of under the organization. We just got a new president. We just redesigned the website. I kind of used that as like a proxy to pull new fonts and new colors into the the new body of work. I used that kind of like the template to create what our reports would look like moving forward and like what art might look like on the site. I kind of just hit the ground running. Folks just let me know. They saw one collage. They were like, oh, this really resonates. Let's do this again. And I just it was just kind of like rinse, wash, and repeat. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a lot of the the stories that we were telling, the organizations that we were uplifting, the communities that you know that we were we were talking about, really in internally for me, like really embodied the work that I wanted to be doing. So I was really appreciative for just having so much floor to experiment, just really build up this tool of, of collaging and, and talking about the work in a way that I feel kind of brings people to the table. The most can be walking, you know, and wonky at times in, you know, how they put out their reports, right? They, they crank out these lengthy 10 page, 15 page reports and things. But like, yeah, you want to bring folks into the room and bring it to the table and everything. So I felt like I was able to do that with, uh, with them and just rich coffee. I mean, we're talking about really good research that's done. So, you know, things based in fact, organizations based in reality. And so, yeah, it just kind of gave me like a, a firm leg to stand on. But, you know, I did, you know, at times miss kind of the allure, right, of like an AMC or a bigger brand, right? Like, I feel like I'm working on all these things for an organization that didn't, maybe didn't have the biggest like digital footprint out in the space, like in the nonprofit space, in the organizing space, think tank space, they are pillars. But outside of that, it's kind of like, but love the work though, like nonetheless. And like a lot of your design work, you know, has this basis in social issues, which it sounds like is definitely something that's really important to you. You mentioned 2016 being sort of this this nexus point for you. Why do we need more designers in the social justice space? Well, because of the work. The work is, you know, we are talking about communities that are on the margins, right? We need folks that, that represent those communities in this space. Because I think the work presents itself very differently, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, when you're not attached to these communities, I think you're detached in a way. And yeah, I feel like these opportunities should be given to the folks that, again, are, are from these spaces, that are speaking to these spaces. Sometimes that's often not the case. 
you know, like some of these jobs are, are low paying. I'm, I'm also going to advocate for more pay for nonprofit designers. I'm also going to ask for more of a, a leadership track, right? Or a track to leadership in the design space on the nonprofit side. Yeah, designers are kind of left out in these conversations, right? And we're such a big and pivotal part of the work and how it, it's represented outside of the organization and into these spaces. Usually Demos as an example, you know, we're making work to put in the hands of policymakers. So like it's transformative, right? You, you've got the, the right policy into the right policymakers' hands. I mean, you know, government is slow, but like you just don't know what can happen putting these things in the, in, you know, in the right hands and stuff. So really important work across the board. I do want to see more BIPOC designers like into this in the space and also being able to maintain a life in this space. I don't think it's temporary, right? Like we love this work just as much as everybody else. We definitely should have more of a space to live a sustainable life, to create this work over time. You know what I mean? I should be able to retire working in the, on the nonprofit side, that type of thing. And everybody else should too. Making a huge push for that, for, you know, for the grant makers, the foundations, policymakers, whatever, for them to really create that, that budget line item when you're creating those grants, like really try to build out more of a creative team. You know, I, I'm advocating for designers, but more, more creatives like that exist in the space. There's a lot of people that want to do a lot of great work, again, deserve to make a living. Yeah. I mean, and to your point, they deserve to retire too. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. I had uh, Cheryl Miller back on the show for episode 500. And I remember, I think we might've said it in the interview, but we definitely talked about it afterwards about how there's no retirement plan for designers. And I was like, well, I kind of get what she was saying, but I think in the grand scheme of like, if you're a designer today, unless you work for, I don't know, maybe like a big tech company or something like that, you kind of end up going from job to job. Like the life and career of a designer is not as structured as say a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, or even, you know, something more blue collar, like an accountant or something like that, where you could be somewhere for X number of years. I mean, I think just in our lifetime, job security to be somewhere for four or five years is admirable. Whereas like my mom was at the same job from like 74 to 2016. Like it was, it was yeah, an easy no, thing, yeah. you know, and she worked in STEM, she worked in biology, but we were talking about how there's like no, no retirement plan for designers, which really got me to thinking like, what would it look like to retire? Would I just have to keep working and doing gigs until I'm dead? Or like, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, which is morbid, but a reality, especially like I'm in my forties. So like, it's a reality. Yeah, these are the things that I'm I'm also thinking about, right? Uh, longevity, you know, in design, resilience in design. And yeah, I, I, I want to figure out what the answer to that is, like sooner than later, you know, mm -hmm. not a magical thing. It's a process that should also be, again, like rewarded with uh, stability, you know, at the end of the day, just like everybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. What keeps you motivated and inspired with your work? I mentioned the master's program earlier. I really want to teach. I really want to teach BIPOC students what this world looks like, the possibilities of a designer. Try to, again, like just build a, a bigger, broader community of future thinkers. And so, yeah, I'm really just primarily like I want to do this for this next generation coming about. I feel like my design journey happenstance, right? Like, I mean, a lot of work, right? Like a lot of grinding, all these things. But man, like I would have loved to... Even this book, the uh, the Black Experience in Design, I would have loved to have this at like a you know at sixteen or like a earlier age. Like, mm -hmm. who knows what life would have looked like for me if I had just a couple more years 
just being able to get a better grasp of what design is, the possibilities. That's what keeps me up at night and, and, and wanting to really get to that space and just social justice in general. 2020, 2016, like the pandemic, like these inflection points, it really shook up democracy in a way to where, you know, you could, you know, scratching your head, like, what does democracy even mean? What does liberation even mean in this country specifically and abroad? Yeah. And like, what does that look like from a design standpoint? What are we going to do to kind of help maintain the steady rhythm of just organizing and, and getting people together? These are the things that I, got, I think about is what does the future look like for this space? And, you know, how do we contribute to it? How do we keep it fresh? How do we keep feeding it and keeping it energizing and inclusive and bringing more people to the table and bringing them in? That's why I'm, I'm calling for, yeah, more nonprofit designers to come into this space and share their expertise from all different points of life because uh, we, we need it. There's a lot of noise out there politically and everything. And yeah, we definitely need the, the support. Do you have like a dream project that you'd love to do one day? It could either be through Ford Foundation, it could be a personal project, anything like that. Yeah. So through this this medium of like collage, you know, I want to do like murals. I see a lot of like a vector art, murals painted, graffiti, all these things. You know, I think of I think his name is like junior artist. You know, when I first came to New York, like he had a lot of just like big murals right like with this with this collage work and everything and so uh, yeah we have a piece at the ford foundation so that's been a dream of mine is like yeah to be able to do like a big like collage piece on you know one of these walls like in the flatbush area so there's like i'm constantly driving around and being like man like a mural would look really good here that type of thing also just more editorial work in general i'd love to see my work in like the times or the atlantic that type of thing so i'm kind of moving and grooving about yeah i want to be able to kind of be on everybody's radar and be able to tell those stories for those those publications and bureaus and things like that. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Do you think it'll be doing that kind of work? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to have a couple more of these. I'm going to do books under my belt. We do want to make this a series. Yeah, some murals. And eventually, like teaching, like I said, I, I want to be at a school ushering in that, that new generation of thinkers, communicators, in mentorship. I really want to give this stuff back to my community in a way that feels impactful and, and meaningful, you know, and I want folks to come back around and, you know, ask me questions. Like I want to be the design elder. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm putting that on myself, you know, that type of thing. Anything I can do to like, yeah, just build my community up in the ways that like, I think are going to be, you know, positive moving forward um, in the realms of design, artwork, that sort of thing. Well, just to sort of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you about your work and everything? Like, where can they find that online? So I am on Instagram under my artist name, Depicting, right? So my, my name is David Perrin, so DP, right? So D-P-I-C-T-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. So, so using my first initials and then I-C-T-I-N-G. So that's Depicting on Instagram. I'm online at uh, depictingstudio.com, also depicting.com on the website. Yeah, I'm working on, I want to get an exhibition out there of my artwork. I'm, I'm working on After Effects as well, trying to create more moving collages and things like that. So that's a slow and steady process. So that's going to be coming. So show coming soon. Yeah, you can find all the updates and things on Instagram, on LinkedIn as well. I'm on LinkedIn, David Perrin. That's where I'm at. All right. Sounds good. David Perrin, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show 
first of all, I just love the work that you're doing at the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation already does so much great in the world, so much philanthropic work. And when I was doing my research and I was like, wait a minute, there's a brother that's leading all this? Like that, oh, yeah. <laughs> that that's what I was like. I had to get you on the show to sort of talk about that. I mean, I think it was one thing, of course, it was great for you to talk about your history with working and doing design with social justice issues, but also kind of, I think, giving folks the opportunity to see that you can switch career paths and like stay true to yourself. Certainly, you sort of started out, like you said, doing this accounting work, and then you kind of wanted to work at a design place that had a big name. And then 2016 happened, which I think was a nexus point for a lot of people, not just designers, but a point to have them think, well, how can my work make more of an impact? And now you've done this work for Demos, you're doing this work for Ford Foundation. I hope that others will hear your story and realize that this is something that they can do. Nonprofit is a space that they can go into and that they can often find success. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, super overjoyed. Thank you. Big, big thanks to David Perrin. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about David and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please let us know. You can reach us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're also on Twitter slash X uh, at Revision Path, just all one word. You could follow us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. Uh, you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We always love those. Or you can leave us a message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.